DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, said that faith's past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject, which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters, not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why it matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. In this episode of Why It Matters, we continue our conversation with Archbishop Lucas discussing why being a Catholic matters and some of the challenges that come forward when some contemplate the Catholic faith. Then we go on to discuss the rite of baptism. Since the time of early Christianity, baptism has been the rite of initiation into the Christian community of the Church. In baptism, the Catechism tells us The one spirit makes us members of the body of Christ and of one another. St. John Paul II in Christi Fidelis Leici, The Vocation and the Mission of the Lay Faithful in the Church and in the World, describes the result of baptism as a mystical unity between Christ and his disciples and the disciples with one another, like branches of a single vine. This reflects the mystical communion of the Holy Trinity. Lumen Gentium, the document constitution on the Church, says that in the one body of Christ, all the members share a common dignity, so that no inequality arising from race or nationality, social condition or sex exists, for all are one in Christ. We now continue our conversations with Archbishop George Lucas. When you look over those moments in history where there seems to be an extraordinary crisis, that you do see the action of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the members of the church. I mean, that's ultimately what the church is, is the the membership of believers, the body, of the mystical body. And you see, for example, at a time of struggle, St. Francis of Assisi rising forward along with St. Clair. You read their letters, and they have an extraordinary love for the church. They, Whether it's Bernard of Clairvaux and Hildegard or Teresa of Avila and Ignatius of Loyola, you, these moments where that just gives new life, pumps new awareness and understanding of the relationship, as you've spoken of, that's important for us to remember, isn't it? It is, and we give thanks to God for them, and we give thanks to them for their heroic virtue and for the example and encouragement that they give us still, even after many centuries. We see their example, we read their writings or their prayers. 
But at the same time, we shouldn't be surprised when we step back and think about it. You know, God's plan is that we be saved in Jesus Christ. And God is God. So God's plan has its effect, even though there's, there could be great turmoil within the, the human community at certain moments in, in history. It doesn't diminish God's power. It's not like a sort of an arm wrestling match. You know, God seems to be losing at this point. God is God, and God, God's love for us endures. And so the power of grace is at work in the world, and we see it. It stands out in contrast, perhaps more, in periods of great turmoil. Those who cooperate with God's grace and you know allow the Holy Spirit to work through their often considerable human talents, they do stand out, and they are a beacon. Uh, the light of the gospel shines through them in a, in a very clear way at a moment that might seem otherwise particularly dark. It's their cooperation with, with God's grace and more evidence that even though we may individually or collectively turn our backs on God, God doesn't turn his back on us. And God's desire for us is always that we live, that we have abundant life. This incredible holiness, wholeness that can be found within the church can be challenged too by those, particularly in our times, that the church is more of an institution dominated by men, and women are somehow put aside. Now, as a female, I would take huge umbrance with that. <laughs> I do not agree with that at all. But from the perspective, especially of one who is a presbyter of the church, what would you respond to that? I'm always sorry when um, uh, anyone, whether inside the church or outside, has come to think of the church as an institution only. It reminds me of sort of this mechanism that's grinding through history and stepping on people or grinding people up in its ears. The church is a living organism. It's the living body of Christ. Jesus himself is the head. He has established the pattern for the church in his own public ministry in his life, death and resurrection. He calls us through the sacraments to be incorporated into the church, which is a manifestation of God's saving plan for us in, in the world in, in all times and places. So it, it doesn't necessarily follow human logic or human sociology, even at a you know at a particular moment in history. It's difficult, but it's our challenge in every age to not say what we think the church should be in its various aspects and, and circumstances, but you know what is God's design and how is he inviting each of us uh, in our various vocations, male and female, to have our particular and unique effect on both the life of the church but, but the life of the world. When anyone feels that he or she is excluded or that their worth is diminished, in their experience in the church, we need to pay attention to that because we know that's not the Lord's uh, desire. At the same time, some of that tension uh, can result from what, uh, as the Pope Francis expresses, of the church being self-referential. So we're, we keep trying to set up circumstances within the church that everybody can feel comfortable with or feel that they're being fulfilled. And then at the same time, we're forgetting our the mission to go out and to share the light of the gospel with others. Now, we can't do that effectively if we're grumbling ourselves about the life of faith. So I don't mean to make light of the issues that you raise, but it's not fair uh, to an understanding of the church to impose only a human understanding from a particular moment in history on the life and the nature of the church. Yeah, just the dynamic of the order of the church, I can't help but think of vocations, not just those who are called to the vocation of priesthood or through holy orders, but those who are called to the vocation of marriage, there is a structure and a particularity about the dynamics within that marriage called to be a family. 
it's all organic part of what makes up a body, isn't it? So what makes up the body of Christ and the marriage and family life is, is at the, the core of that in, in God's design and in, in, in our experience. If we don't have faithful and fruitful marriages, we're not going to have a church for very long. There's not going to be any other vocations, anything else. So it's an easy thing to fall into, but we fall into kind of just a, a limited human understanding. If we're trying to rank jobs or vocations in terms of their importance or that one person gets to have kind of hold sway over, over another. Both here in the United States, but certainly now in the, in recent years, uh, uh, in the pontificate of Pope Francis, we've seen a huge emphasis on marriage and, and family life, and on a, an invitation to, to a deeper understanding of the vocation of marriage, the importance of families, the dynamics, the challenges uh, there, but also the graces that are abundant in the experience of, of Christian families. Given the greater awareness of the beautiful call for men and women to religious orders to become those members within the church that fuel the life of grace in the church through their prayers and their sacrifices in a very hidden way. I mean, that's an important element too. At the basis of our response individually, but we do it with the encouragement of others, the response to, to Jesus. So when he calls us to be his disciples and we say yes to that, that should be a life changer. Not that at that very moment when we say yes to, to the Lord, that we'll understand exactly what his plan is for us and all the details, but a part of that conversion, part of that saying yes to the Lord is saying to him, let me know what you want me to do. How do you want me to live in the church? And, and I'll try to do it because it's your desire for me and I trust that that's good. As we all try to find our place in the church, it's not so much picking out a spot where we think we would like to be or where we believe we would flourish, but trying to as well as we can to listen to the Lord, to discern his will. We have people who can assist us in that process, and it may not be what our own will would have been for us, at, at least at, at the beginning. So sometimes there's a, a struggle there, but the, the Lord has a place for each of us, and if we allow ourselves to be led there, then we will flourish and we'll begin already to taste the abundant life that is offered to the members of the kingdom of God. So glad you used the term, that call, that call of Jesus, because Again, in the right of a Christian initiation of adults, um, that right of election that is also that encouragement to continue that your conversion. And for many, as you said, who are coming forward, who the catechumenate is someone who has not been baptized, but for the candidate, it is someone who has the life that sanctifying grace them by their virtue of their baptism in the Christian faith. But they're being called to a fuller communion. They're being called to uh, something they may not even be able to articulate yet. Uh, as are we all, uh, being called to a deeper communion with the Lord and with one another in, in him. Really, we're on a pilgrimage. It begins at the baptismal font, but it, it lasts our whole life long. And we can say with confidence, I think, that the Lord wants a deeper, uh, more personal relationship with us, between us and him, than, than the one we've experienced so far, than even what we may be allowing so far. So it, it really, it's the it's important, again, that we see that and that, it, that we impart that understanding to, to the extent that we can to the elect and to those who are, are on the path of continuing conversion towards, towards full communion with the church, that this is the beginning or, or a continuation perhaps of a pilgrimage, but it, it's going to continue our whole life long and it's, some of it's going to be uphill. We're going to have companions along the way, both those who are with us that we can see and talk to, the communion of saints, 
as you mentioned before, those who have gone before us, you know, some great lights, spiritual mothers and fathers who assist us, encourage us both with the work they have left us, the writings perhaps, but also the real relationship that we have with them now once we're baptized in the communion of saints. And that experience of the sacramentality and the sacraments, but the sacramentality, when I speak of that, it's that gathering together of praying for one another, of the blessing, just the receiving of all the various ways in which God wants to touch us through the mystical body. That's important, isn't it? It is. In our culture, is very individualistic, and we're encouraged in many ways to be autonomous, you know, to take care of ourselves, make our own way, choose our own, make our own choices, decide what's right for ourselves. It's very countercultural then to be drawn into, to be received into a community of believers where the, the relationships that we have with one another in Christ help form our identity and, and help us understand really who we are and how to make our way along life's pilgrimage. Archbishop Lucas, what would you say to that person out there who was maybe baptized at a very young age and has, as you say, identify themselves as a Catholic, and yet they no longer come to the community to come experience that sacramentality? They they just have drifted away. I would invite that person to reflect in your own thoughts and prayer on how much God loves you. There's nothing you did to turn that on, and you can't really turn it off. So even though you may feel that God is absent or feel a distance, I would encourage you to reflect on the truth that you are a beloved daughter or son of God that's been articulated in a specific way about you at your baptism. God is providing for us in this world in a number of ways, of course, but but in a, a very profound way through the gift of his son Jesus, whom we meet in, in the church. We can meet him in general ways, in our own reflection, in our own prayer. The Lord is near, he's looking for us, but he really desires to share the power of his death and resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, with us in the community of believers. I, I would encourage this person, though, to, to pray about that first. You know, not believe that something's expected of you so much as something's being offered and in any way that, that you can spend time with the truth of the fact that you are a child of God, that God has good things in mind for you. See what happens. See how the Holy Spirit might stir something in your heart that, that perhaps a, another person, another disciple of Jesus Christ, would be able to speak with you about or pray with you about. I think to think, if I've been away from the church for a long time, I'm going to one day go up and knock on the door or maybe slide in. So pew at Mass on Sunday, that's certainly fine if you feel called to do that, but it might be that, that uh, the Lord's been preparing somebody else, have an encounter with you, somebody you work with, somebody in your family who very patiently wants to listen to your story, your questions, and maybe just pray with you or pray for you and take the time that it might take for uh, you to see what God's designs are for you. Yeah, on that first Sunday of Lent, you received a thousand people or more. You just said maybe it's up to us that we receive just that one person at any time of the year. That's important, isn't it? Sure. If it's true that as a disciple of Jesus, you're being sent out and to the mission field, you know, where, where you find yourself, then I think it's right to believe that we should be alert to the person that the Lord might be sending across our path who could can use some encouragement, use prayer, uh, friendship, 
uh, consolation. I mean, it could be anything. We should be aware, too, that we're not always conscious that there's somebody there whom the Lord is putting near us, but by our good example and uh, by our righteousness in a good way, not a self-righteousness, but but our integrity, our uh, desire to make good decisions and to be you know, be the people we say we are, that someone may be influenced by that, maybe be, maybe encouraged by that. We might not even know about it in this world. It is important, though, to think at the beginning of every day, maybe pray about the fact that the Lord may give me the opportunity to encounter and to encourage someone throughout the day. That's my role as a, as a disciple, and I want to be open to it. And I enter into that encounter as myself. Who else could I be? So I have pluses and minuses, but the Holy Spirit is dwelling in me. And will give me what I need if I'm if that's my if it's my desire to share the light and joy of the gospel with others. The Holy Spirit will help me see how that can do that. We'll return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas in just a moment. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts, faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts and either download our free apps, which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores, or visit discerninghearts.com. The Confidier I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask Blessed Mary Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. We now return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Probably the most important thing that could happen in our lives next to our actual birth is baptism. Am I overstating it? You're not overstating it at all. And in fact, we understand it as a rebirth. And so you can't have baptism if someone isn't born (laughs) physically into this world. But then baptism makes every difference in terms of the direction that life will take in this world and in the world to come. Yeah, why does it matter ultimately? Baptism really is the beginning of our pilgrimage of faith. We understand it in a number of different ways. Uh, an incorporation into the body of Christ. So we become members of, of his church. It signals the removal of original sin. The effects of sin remain, but the separation that uh, existed between us and God is is removed. 
And in a very real way, God claims us as his sons and daughters and brings us into the household of faith. We become members of the, of the family as we become mem- members of the church. It's a tremendous new status we have, you might say, and this is all possible because of the power of, of the Lord's death and resurrection. Our uh, baptism, our plunging into the waters of baptism is a sacramental experience of going with the Lord into the tomb and then rising with him to the newness of life. Souls are filled with sanctifying grace. We receive the, uh, uh, the Lord's gifts of faith, hope, and love. There's so many things that we can say about the importance of baptism. I would say for most of us, though, it would be helpful to uh, just reflect that baptism was an event for each of us, which was a significant moment. But the condition of being baptized continues, uh, both in this life and, and in the next. We think about not only what happened when we were baptized, but also who we are and what life means for us as, as a result of I think of there were probably a million photos taken of St. John Paul II during his life and his pontificate, maybe 10 million, I don't know, lots. So even people that never met him face-to-face have a really good sense of what he looked like and even his personality, you know, that comes very much through his photos. One of them that I remember and that that I think was one of the most significant ones, perhaps, after he became pope, he was able to travel back to Poland. And on one of his visits there, he uh, went back to the town where he had been raised. And he went to the parish church. And he, in the church, went to look for the baptismal font. There's a beautiful photo of him uh, at the font praying and reflecting on what was true for him. It's true for all of us. That spot, he began his pilgrimage of faith that was going to take him all the way through this life, a very rich and influential life, through this life all the way uh, to eternity. And we can imagine uh, little Carol Wojtyła at the font with his parents and and, uh, godparents or whoever else might have been there. It's as if there was a voice from heaven. There wasn't really, I don't think, that people could hear, but as if there was a voice from heaven saying, my plan for little Carol is that he'd be a saint. And it's very clear now that God's plan was effective. We don't say, well, wasn't that clever of God to know that he would become that he would become a saint? But it was really, in a sense, God's deepest desire being expressed. Like the voice from heaven was heard at the time of the baptism of Jesus, the Heavenly Father confirming for him and for everybody his his identity, his mission as the beloved son of the Father. It's as if at the time of John Paul's baptism, but at the time of your baptism and, and mine, we can imagine God saying, this is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. And that's not just a casual remark, we might say, on the, the part of our Heavenly Father. But, but when God announces his plan for us, when God makes known his divine will, it, it's effective. In other words, God doesn't interfere with our free will. So as long as we will cooperate, then what God plans and announces at the time of the baptism of each of us will be true, that we will indeed be his sons and daughters and are. And that will have uh, bring blessings for us in, in this life uh, and then mean eternal life for us. Wow, you brought up a, a really important aspect of baptism, I think, that if we're not careful, we can overlook it. And that is the fact that he doesn't violate our free will. And that even in baptism, it's something that it is a, a, a response. Our response in saying yes is necessary. 
and being able to receive that divine gift. Right. So that means we we live into, we grow into the, the identity that is ours and we claim it for ourselves. It's God's plan for us that we be his beloved sons and daughters and that we live forever in his son, Jesus. But we have to assent to that. The important thing to know, though, is that the with the grace of baptism comes uh, the grace to overcome what might limit our weakened wills in our ability to, to say yes. So God makes the, the yes to his plan possible for us. It, um, it's nothing we could construct for ourselves or, or earn. Uh, God gives it to us. Uh, we have to claim it, but we can claim it. The grace that comes with baptism, with the other sacraments, the actual grace that's always offered to us makes it possible for us to not give in uh, to a lesser identity, You know, to, to claiming something less true about ourselves, but, but to go with God's plan. One of the things that comes up for those who are preparing for baptism, they hear the term original sin. And it's not necessarily something that comes easily understood. That is a concept that people struggle with. Yeah, it's more than a concept. It's a reality. And we uh, experience the effects of it still. It's important to remember that, that none of us just pops up out of the ground, you know, disconnected from people or events that, that have gone before us. We have parents and ancestors, and we inherit physical characteristics and emotional characteristics uh, from them. Uh, there's an inheritance that really is experienced by uh, all of us in some way. Some of that, that is material, perhaps, if we inherit property or money from, from our parents. But some of it is their physical characteristics and some, some emotional pluses or minuses, you might say. Uh, so the, the effects of original sin, that's part of the inheritance that comes to us all the way back in the human family, uh, goes back to our first parents. When they believed the lie of the devil, that they were not in every way beloved, a beloved son and daughter of, of God, that in some way God was trying to compete with them and, and that if they followed God's plan in all of its particulars, they wouldn't have life in abundance, but they would somehow be limited, that God would take something from them and keep it for himself that would have been for their good. It, it was a lie, but it was tempting, and, and they fell for it. And so the, in acting willfully and choosing their own plan to try to construct reality themselves rather than the beautiful reality that God had created and with which they were surrounded, they created a separation between themselves and, and God. And that separation is a, the most profound effect of original sin that is the human experience now that we're born into. The separation is experienced not only between us and God, but between us and other people, between ourselves and the created world, and we even feel pulled apart inside of ourselves, you know, so there's a kind of a disintegration that, that happens. We're not, we don't always experience harmony within our own lives and thoughts and, and emotions. That's a problem, to say it mildly that there's this distance now between ourselves and God that we can't bridge. We're incapable of doing that. So we either die, live and die separated from God, or we depend on God to reach across this divide that sin has created to create a reconciliation with us and to make what was his original plan for us, that our inheritance be eternal life, not eternal death, that that we're brought back into the household of faith through baptism, and the sacraments so that the inheritance now that will decide our life forever, uh, life in Jesus Christ is offered to us. 
We'll continue our conversation on the rite of baptism in our next episode. You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas.